welcome everybody to this very special edition of the guns radio podcast tonight we are joined by mike loveless and trip atkinson of joan red for this very special evening with joan red podcast how's it going guys thank you for coming in good man howdy, howdy. Going? oh we're great man i really appreciate you guys coming in because joan red let's let's talk about let's talk about the phenomenon you guys once were we're just we're gonna just i just want to say you know back in the day you guys would play like good time charlie's and you'd walk and you drive by the place and you'd see all the people standing out around playing you're like there ain't no way all these fucking people are getting in tonight <laughs> and yeah <laughs> and you knew joan red was in town if you didn't see the egg it's like ah, it must be joan red it was it was either you know what I yeah. mean? Like that's where that's the the you guys were huge at least in the area. If if not, did you guys see that kind of success everywhere? Like everywhere you went? Like I know in Memphis and Tupelo, it was crazy. Uh, but. Memphis and Tupelo for sure. Uh, Jackson, Michigan was a lot like that. There were just different places uh, like Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Um, it was it was pretty massive uh in those areas but tupelo was was almost i'd say tupelo was actually bigger than memphis uh for us uh a lot of times it was it was crazy tupelo was always always on board for joan red well you guys are coming back though to memphis on march 22nd you'll be back for the uh family reunion show that's going to be happening and this will be the first joan red concert since 2011 uh, is this going to be a kickoff for a full-time reunion, or is this a one-night stand? Are a lot of things in the works, uh, and and who knows what that could be. Um, so for us, just getting everybody together to do this was was huge. Just to to be able to, I mean, Trip hasn't been on the stage since Joan Red, oh, well. and uh, I haven't been on the stage in in quite a while myself. But uh, I hadn't been on the stage with Trip since Joan Red, <laughs> so uh, uh, for sure this is a, a family reunion on many levels, not just for us, but for all the people that we shared the scene with and and everything else. Uh, as far as the band, the the music, uh, there's definitely a lot of music um, for the future, but. We still haven't settled on a vocalist at all or anything like that at the moment. So uh, it's hard to for sure say what could happen after this, but um, it's also hard to deny the support that we've gotten so far. Yeah. Uh, just with this show, you know, we've got literally, I, I know a guy that's coming in from oh, wow. to come to this show. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's awesome, but it's crazy. So there's, Definitely a lot of support out there still. There, there's talks, you know. Yeah. So, what have you guys been up to since the last time that you all played together? Yeah. Um, uh, working mostly, right? Having kids, man. Uh, Having uh, uh, <laughs> working. Speak to what he's done. Yeah, he had had kids and started a successful business and. Uh, oh, nice just you know living in the real world uh yeah <laughs> uh, you had to grow up quick after playing drums myself man. I had to grow up real quick <laughs> yeah 
Is this a result of the playing drums or my beautiful wife and <laughs> yeah. um, So but you you uh Mike you you got you said you no, got six I think kids. he left playing drums to to be in the business. <laughs> so did you That's have great. did you have like how many kids did you have in six in your kids. heyday? Five girls and one boy. Oh wow. wow. You're outnumbered man. I had two. They rebel. Yeah. You're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> so what? That's why? True. What led to this reunion show? Like, why now of all times have you guys decided to to get back together and have the show? It kind of came out of nowhere, honestly. Um, in fact, like uh, three weeks prior to the show. I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be on the stage again. I'm just going to go ahead and sell my amp and cabinet that I had. And, you know, uh, oh, no. so three weeks before ever talking about the show, I went ahead and sold my stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, three weeks later, we're talking about doing the show. I was like, well, now I got to go buy new stuff. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Wasn't it Sean that kind of like sparked this thing though? Coming into town, I was like, man, let's do this. Uh, well, Sean, you know, Sean's band, Sons on Fire, was going to uh, be doing a tour, and they were looking for a date in Memphis. So I said, you know, ro- reach out to Roach and, and see what's going on. I said, reach out to these other uh, clubs and owners that I knew. And um, before I knew it, the next day, Roach was calling and saying, you know, hey, how about we make this a Joan Red show? <laughs> Since you're all here anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Sean and I have always talked about what to do, do with the music and where to go and stuff like that. But, you know, Sean lives in California and I live out here in, in uh, Brownsville, middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And, and you know, the, so the logistics of it is hard, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the uh, the music now with all the technology, we can actually write and send stuff back and forth. And we've been doing that for a while now. Yeah, so. you don't have to be in the same room. Uh, exactly. The music can continue for sure. So uh, we don't have to be, you know, limited by how close we are. <clears throat> Well, with that being said, when you're getting ready for uh, this kind of reunion, how much of this, especially um, especially with you, uh, Trip, since you haven't played with them in so long, how much uh, have you had to really knock the rust off of being able to, <laughs> oh, for, when it comes to being able to play the song? Did you have to learn the songs again? Yeah, I had to relearn my own music, man. That's crazy. Uh, no, luckily <laughs> I, I got my daughter, my oldest daughter, a uh, electric rolling drum set about two years ago, and uh, that actually started the process of dusting the, the rust off and the cobweb, so to speak. And then when I got the random call from Mike that, "Hey, I need you to play drums for us in Memphis. Uh, can you do it?" I was like, "Oh shoot, man! I guess I better step it up and really take my practicing serious." So, uh, started practicing about every every day, man ever since Mike called me and then uh, got behind an actual acoustic set about two, three weeks ago for the first time in about 12 years. So Something uh, about, I love the, I love the idea that, that, that uh, Trip Atkinson is playing drums on <clears throat> pink Barbie. 
my yes. first drum set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's got colors all over it, marker marks, you know. Exactly. It's in a pink room. Hey, we got cool strobe lights, though, man. Nice, nice. That, that rock star feel. What about you, Mike? No, it's coming. It's coming back. It feels good. It feels good to be back behind the drum set for sure. Well, that's good, man. I mean, because that's one of the things I thought of when I first heard it was like, man, if these guys hadn't played in a while, it's going to be a pain in the ass to to get ready and deliver at the level that they're going to be expected to deliver at easy don't be putting all that pressure on us like that now come on <laughs> i mean you kind of already did when you stepped back behind that logo so you know facts facts i agree <laughs> <laughs> but uh what yeah about you so from <laughs> yeah so for me i mean um i after COVID happened, I, I pretty much started working at home every single day. And luckily enough, I have my guitar and stuff right there by me. But I was, I've been writing and recording just other ideas for stuff for a long time. Hadn't touched the Joan Red stuff. So there was a little bit of relearning parts for sure. And like, I I can't believe I didn't remember, you know, a little uh, key change or something like that until I listened back to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, there's a certain, definitely a certain amount of muscle memory that kicks in too. And uh, uh, the first time we got together with Trip, uh, you know, we were thinking Trip might play one or two songs. And then Trip came in and we just started playing and, and kept going. I was like, wow. Trip might just play all these songs. <laughs> nice. I thought it was awesome. Um, it was really good to get together and, and kind of pick up just, you know, right off the bat and, and lock back in like that. It was crazy. Did you still have the same chemistry? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think as far as me and Trip, we'll always have the, the same chemistry. I think um, I was I was not certain how it was going to go when Brent played with Trip because they never played together before. But uh, he locked Brent's in. always been really solid <laughs> and they definitely locked in. So uh, I can tell you this, the music's really tight. <laughs> yeah, it'll sound we're, good. We're, we're as long as Sean it. can come in and do his part, we're going to be good. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's hopefully nice. Sean. So when we get to Memphis for the family reunion show, you're going to have a huge lineup of different singers. Can we confirm some of the people that's going to be there? We can, yeah. Uh, Zach Myers from Shinedown, uh, Jared Weeks from uh, Saving Abel, and Scott Bartlett from Saving Abel, Chris Brown from One Less Reason, uh, Gary uh, from Prosevere. Uh, we've got uh, Allison from Roses Unread. Uh, we've got a whole slew of singers. <laughs> uh, Shy from uh, Savage After Midnight, which you know a lot of these guys have their their new project. And back then, when it was Joan Red, you know that was uh, Shy was uh, Sore Eyes back then. <clears throat> so, when you've got all these guys coming in, have you been rehearsing with these singers? <clears throat> Uh, we have gotten together and rehearsed with a couple of these guys so far, and it's gone really well. Um, 
I can tell you this, Anthony didn't make it easy for anybody to step into those <laughs> shoes, for sure. I mean, everybody's like, oh, my goodness, how did he do this? Uh, yeah. But we've, we've definitely got some great vocalists lined up, for sure. And there's some new guys coming into the picture, too. Um, uh, my singer from the Taylor Made Villains project that I did is coming in, uh, Stephen Gray. Um, Dustin Allen is coming in. He's got a, a um, band that just released their single on March 2nd, I think, called Line So Thin. And uh, Tim Spencer is coming in. Uh, he's also a vocalist. Uh, and I think he, he's also done some of the songs with uh, Sleep Theory. Uh, oh, wow. Sleep Theory is opening the show, and they're, they're also blowing up right now on... Uh, TikTok and Octane. I mean, they're like number one slot right now. It's crazy. So those guys are opening the show. They also are, are uh, going to be uh, on the opening stage at the, or the headlining stage for Memphis in May as well. Uh, oh, that's awesome. So it, we've really got some great vocalists lined up for sure. So when you're rehearsing with these guys, you know, you said Anthony doesn't make it easy on somebody to do that. Is that, have you had a situation where it's like, dude, there's no way I can sing in this fucking key. We're going to have to tune it down. Or... <laughs> no, look, we, we told everybody we were going to keep the, the music the exact same as it was on the CD. Uh, and when, and if we needed to make adjustments, we would make adjustments with the vocalist, but the music was going to be the same. So uh, so far, it's worked out real good. Uh, right on. We've got a, a few more rehearsals left to lock in the last few vocalists, but I think it's going to be solid. In fact, I, you know, I've always said from the beginning, the vocalists are going to do a great job, but I think the crowd's probably going to sing louder than anybody on that stage. Oh, yeah. I don't think, especially when you get to some of the ones like um, like Hero or uh uh crush or those kind of songs yeah. like I, I i think it doesn't matter if the vocalist does a shitty job they're not gonna notice <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i keep telling them look if you're struggling just hold that microphone out because that's when the crowd's gonna take over <laughs> that's right <laughs> the old i forgot the words <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> um now, I also want to tell everybody that's listening right now that you guys just released a new single called Blue Sky Shy. And, you know, being a guy, being one of the guys that was there on that scene from back in the day, it was pretty fucking surreal to be hearing Anthony's voice uh, on a brand new uh, song. Of course, Blue Sky Shy wasn't a new song. You guys played that live all the time. But to be hearing it on a new, um, on a new, I guess, track like a, a studio track yeah it was it was pretty fucking surreal how emotional was that when you're uh taking that out of the vault dusting it off getting it cleaned up ready to come out with everything that went down which we are going to cover in detail later but like did that kind of dredge up some old feelings or anything like that i mean uh Anthony's a part of, of my every single day, and he, and he has always been. Uh, uh, I've had those recordings for a while, and, and I wasn't sure that we'd ever be able to do anything with them. Uh, it started out to just 
some pre-production stuff that we had done uh, for the Side Effects of You album, but it ended up, uh, because of the content of the song, we ended up putting Prayer for Rain on the album instead. And so we didn't keep two songs about the sky, basically. I'm like, we'll just mm-hmm. put that on the second album. And uh, the song was an instant hit as soon as we started playing it live. So we knew we had to, to get it out there. But uh, with today's technology and stuff, we were able to actually get it mastered and and uh, add a little bit of uh, more of today's type of sounds to it and uh, just kind of adapt it and get it out there. And, it, uh, you know, uh, as Taylor made Villains, we did a tribute and and recorded that song uh, and Stephen, our our vocalist, he did a fantastic job on it. But it, yeah, it's always different when you hear Anthony sing, you know. Yeah. And that, that, um, everybody that listens to it is like, "Oh, that's Anthony." You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was really, it was great. <clears throat> uh, how many? How I many love those, that we were able to restore that. How many of those do you have? Uh, very few. Um, we were writing new stuff, but we didn't get to do pre-production on a lot of stuff. Um, there was a that we uh, opened one time in Memphis with called Come One, Come All. And there, I think there's one recording of it somewhere. Uh, but we never got to do pre-production on it. So I don't know if we'll ever be able to get that one out. But uh, it was a... Um, I mean, it was we opened the show with that song. And so I didn't think anybody remembered it, but I've actually had people ask me about that song before. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, um, unfortunately we didn't, we didn't get pre-production done on a lot of other stuff. Uh, we were certainly writing other things, um, but we never got pre-production done on it. So after side effects, you guys were, starting the work of a second album but you never actually got to get in and uh yeah so um while we were recording the album we also were inspired to start writing more music and then we ended up with more music that we couldn't put on the same album <laughs> oh. so uh, we we're like well we'll just keep working on it and perfect it and and get it out there you know so would a second album how how differently would it have sounded from side effects of you had it had everything gone according to plan with the direction you were heading then um that's hard to say honestly because uh at the time you know we did the uh we did so far gone and we did uh no goodbye and no goodbye was definitely gonna be on the second one um but when we did so far gone it kind of changed a little bit of the direction of the music at the same time uh so if it had been up to me i would have definitely stuck with what we were doing and and you know adapted as the time went along but um we that's the only song that we never wrote um we actually redid that song for a country artist, uh, country producer in Nashville. Hmm. And um, a lot of people didn't know that. But uh, 
it was it we there was mixed emotions about that song because it, it wasn't one that we wrote but it was actually easier when anthony went in to be able to do something that was already written and uh, he liked that a lot so it, at one point it felt like he wanted other people to write our songs. And that was, uh, that was not, uh, something that met well when it, when we heard about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because we had put all our work into everything that we did. And we literally did it all on our own, you know, I what didn't think we needed other people's help. Yeah. <laughs> so that you guys wrote everything, uh, yourselves without how what what was that process like when you're writing a when you were writing a it, song together i think it was completely different than most other people we uh after practice i would sit around and start playing guitar just different riffs and trying out different things and anthony would get on the drums and start playing and that's how we ended up writing most of the music was actually after our rehearsal we would just sit there and jam and come up with stuff. And Anthony loved to play the drums. And uh, so that gave him an opportunity to get back there and go crazy. Uh, and then we would have to teach it to trip, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a thing that I don't think a lot of people knows about Anthony is that he could play a lot of different instruments. He was guitar. He could play guitar. He just didn't on stage. Not very much. But yeah, uh, he played a couple of times live. But yeah. Uh, he loved to sit back and play like Daughtry and stuff like that. And uh, uh, he definitely loved to play drums and air drums. You can catch him all the time playing air drums. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be driving down the interstate and he'd be playing air drums the whole time. Uh, yeah. You see him on stage doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But that's something, yeah, that's something a lot of people don't know is that Anthony played uh several different uh tracks did he ever record something like hey dude i got this song and he throws it down on a on an acoustic thing well you wouldn't have had email i guess you couldn't have done it back then i forget about technology but did he ever yeah. record something like just just real crappy and send it to you like 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 as, as good as he could but like hey you got to hear this thing i came up with here's a tape or something like that. We had uh, some phone recordings kind of stuff that we sent back and forth. But every rehearsal, we would, uh, every rehearsal, we would set up his little digital camera just in the corner of the room. It, it wasn't even facing us most of the time, but we would record everything that we did. And then we would listen back to it afterwards and, and be like, hey, that was cool. You know, let's work with that and see where we can go with it. So, um, like I said, I think it's probably a little bit different process. I've seen some bands that go into the studio and write their music there in the studio. Uh, we didn't have that luxury doing the album. I was about uh, to say, that sounds like an expensive way to go about oh, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we, we paid basically for the studio time, we paid for three days at a time to go in and, and knock out two songs. Oh, so, wow. and, and we did it all ourselves also. So that was a challenge. Uh, and a lot of times the, uh, you know, selling the EP is what actually helped pay to get the album done, you know? So, yeah. Uh, that's another thing that's, it's a hard thing to get a hold of, but there was a, 
there was and, and some of the songs I remember it's been so long since I've lost that damn CD. But uh you guys had I think it was like three or four songs on uh I think it was called Spread the Red. Yeah. And then you re-recorded those because they sound or, or or at least remixed them because they sounded different when they came out on side effects of you. Yeah. Uh, well, they, when we first released them, we did everything ourselves. Um, in fact, we even had, had uh, put the uh, the stickers on the CDs. And I remember a lot of people would say, hey, man, I love that album, but I can't get it out of my CD player. Like, it's literally <laughs> stuck. That's the only thing I have to listen to. <laughs> and, but, yeah, I mean... Back then, we were a DIY band. You know, we were doing it all ourselves. Uh, Anthony did the art. Anthony did the websites uh, and uh, ended up doing websites for a lot of the artists uh, that we toured with. And uh, we did everything that we could on our own, for sure. I've seen other bands since Joan Red has come and gone use the image of the girl with the duct tape on her mouth yeah i've seen other bands use that and to me because i was in the area i guess i i think i'll oh, look at them ripping off joan red's cover and but uh <laughs> yeah. i found out recently that anthony even he didn't just buy a stock photo he bought a stock photo and then went in and digitally altered it to get that side effects of you cover that's correct yeah um i think he added the duct tape and, uh, so, the and we changed the color of the girl's eye, as well. Um, yeah. That that cover has been used on a Japanese comic as well, uh, like an anime comic, um, and several other things. Uh, I didn't even know until uh, just a few years ago that that image was not ours at all. I thought we had paid to use that image and, and it was ours, but uh, I actually met the guy who got the image to Anthony and he admitted that he lied and said that it was his. So, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had no idea. Uh, so you know, the mystery the time, goes even further. We weren't thinking about that stuff at the time, you know uh, and she's definitely served her, her purpose for us, for sure. I mean, uh, uh, the so, side effects you name was also uh, a name that uh, one of the American Idol uh, vocalists, uh, female artists, ended up using for the name of her album, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. I did not know that because when I looked it up, I think Joan Red was the only thing that came up. That's wild, though. Yeah, good name. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you a funny story about where that came from. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. We were actually, uh, we were, you know, going back and forth on album names, and and we couldn't come up with anything. And uh, at the time, I was going through a a really uh, rocky relationship, um, and I had split up with my uh, my son's mother at the time. And uh, we had gone, we were going back and forth to visit him while he was staying with her parents in Arkansas. So we'd have to ride together for this, you know, three hour trip uh, out there. And uh, 
we started talking. Uh, we were crossing the bridge, coming back home. And in the middle of our conversation, I was like, you know, we were talking about how it was different. If we were dating other people at the time, how it was different. And I said, you know, another side effect of you. And then I stopped right there <laughs> in the middle of that conversation. I called Anthony and I said, I know the name of the album. Oh, that is so cool. And that's where yeah. it came from. That is Eureka moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks to my ex for that. <laughs> that's great. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of exes that are gonna be inspirations for a lot of these songs if we really deep dive into each of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh Can't Let Go was about the same uh person in my life, you know, it was crazy. Um it, it definitely made for some good music, but <laughs> yeah, the it it's funny how the how universally um accepted those songs were uh and how personally they were to us at the time you know going through those things yeah what point um what point did you guys uh, first off how did i've got one question that's not on my do- on my docket but i've got it but it's for me um okay the joan red logo with the red stripes was that which came first, Anthony's tattoo or the Joan Red logo? Uh, Anthony was working on the logo and he liked it so much that he got it as a tattoo. Okay, so the logo yeah. came first, and then he was like, I'm all yeah, in on so this. the logo was the meaning of the logo was the four stripes and um, bringing it all together with the music. You see the music notes running through the background, right. Oh, and okay. so that was each of us as a member all coming together mm-hmm. as the character, Joan Red, and the music was what was bringing us together. And that's where the idea of the logo came from. If a lot of people don't remember, uh, when we first came out, our logo was actually, uh, or our, our emblem basically was a uh, kind of a rocker chick. Um who we kind of dubbed as Joan Red. Um, at, when we were coming up with the name, we we got everybody got a journal, and uh, we sat there that whole year and and worked on stuff. We never told anybody anything about what we were doing, and uh, you know, because Anthony was coming out of Chosen View, I was transitioning my. Uh, band patient zero at the time and uh so we were like if we're gonna do something it's got to be completely different and so we want everybody to take a journal and we want everybody to just pour their feelings into this journal um and think of it as a almost like a, a a gaming character and whatever you put into this character we're gonna try to somehow create this band out of you know and so didn't matter what your feelings were you would just put those things in the journal and um it kind of just stemmed from that to okay now let's put that those feelings into a character and um before we came up with the name joan red you know uh and so we well we've got this character she's female she's a rocker chick you know she's she's a badass and you know what name do we give this girl like what's a strong female name so yeah joan 
pops to the top of the list uh, because of Joan of Arc, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what's the most popular color in the world? Red and black. Those are the most popular colors in the world. So Joan Black didn't sound right, but Joan Red hit just right, you know? And so I had a, a, a friend of mine who had designed or had done some designs for like the Rockstar video games um, company kind of design that character for us. And that's that's how we started out, you know? Yeah. So um, bringing it all together into this logo was really special for sure. I knew there was a character and that I had heard people talk about the character of Joan Red in the past, yeah. but I never understood what that was about. So that's really cool. To, to Yeah. I mean, the character can be anything, you know, it can be super strong. It can be, um, it can be weak. It can be vulnerable. It can be, you know, anything. And so as a guy growing up, uh, you couldn't show your softer side a lot of times, you know, you always had to be tough. You always had to be, uh, manly. Right. But mm-hmm. as a, as a female character, we were able to put those feelings into that and let her embody all those feelings. That's why we gave everybody a journal, uh, because we wanted to, to put all those emotions in there. You know, we're not trying to be superheroes all the time, you know? Yeah, and it probably helps uh, with your pre-programmed conditioning to be speaking when you're writing it in the uh, voice of this character rather than in your own, even if it is your experience you're writing about. Yeah, definitely. So when you recorded, let's go back a little bit. How far, uh, how did you guys meet? Like, how was it brought together? (laughs) <laughs> so uh i had a band at the time called patient zero and we were looking for a vocalist i never wanted to be a lead vocalist i only wanted to play guitar and i was fine with writing the music and writing the lyrics and everything i just didn't want to be a front man and so we had several guys come in and and one of the guys that came in was uh one of our best friends from high school named Albert. Uh, we were in choir with Albert and um, he came in and he had the voice, but he, uh, he was really shy on stage. In fact, it, one show, he kind of faced us the whole time instead of facing the crowd, you know? Oh, wow. And uh, at the same time, I knew that uh, I had met Anthony and uh, Dave Cowell and all those guys. Uh, we played a, it, there was a like a three-day festival called Dingo Fest that they would hold in Memphis. And uh, it, you would basically bar hop from club to club and, and catch local bands at each uh, bar. Well, we were playing at the old New Daisy. And um, we played, our band back then was called Lupercus that me and Sean had since high school. And uh, that was our first band that we started together. And... Uh, we played and Chosen View came up behind us and played. And as soon as they got off the stage, I looked at Sean and I was like, dude, we have to step our shit up. These guys are really good and they're kids. You know, yeah. uh, that was kind of the, that was the first time we ever met them. Then years later, um, 
we start seeing them more and more popping up on different shows and different events. And, you know, they were doing their thing and we were doing our thing. Um, and uh, at the same time, I also knew that their band was also coming of age at a point where people were making decisions about going to college and, you know, moving on into other life situations, you know. Uh, settling down and and stuff like that and uh, I was like well let me ask Anthony if he'll come in because I knew Anthony was a great front man you know I was like let me ask him if he'll come in and just kind of audit uh, Albert and give him some pointers you know to come out to rehearsal and and just see what happens and so I, I did that and Anthony came out there, uh, um, and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, he gave them some pointers and everything. And uh, once everybody was done and left the room, I kept playing guitar. And um, I actually played the riff from Show Me the Way uh, on the chorus. And um, Anthony poked his head back in the room, and he was like, hey, man, what was that? I said, oh, that's where you would say, show me the way you fell to pieces. And uh, uh, that's where that song came from. The next night, we got together um, and wrote out the song. I was like, well, that's crazy. You know, that wasn't the intent of anything happening. But that's what happened, you know. I was like, that's really good. But, you know, I also knew that... uh, chosen view they had a lot of stuff going on at the time and that you know they were poised to make some big moves for sure they had a lot of interest you know uh and so i really didn't think much would come out of that um in fact right before that event happened i was a a contractor for comcast uh, and i installed anthony's cable at his house like his high speed internet because uh, he was a big time uh, gamer like he played Halo like crazy you know and he played like the, the Halo uh, competitions and stuff like he was a big time gamer well I was like hey man I know you you know like we met years ago and I think we even have a show coming up this Friday and uh, he kind of blew it off he, he didn't think that I was for real and and especially at the time, because I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I, I was the original uh, second guitar player for Egypt Central. Well, at the time, a lot of people were claiming to have some kind of history with Egypt Central. So he kind of just blew me off, you know, Yeah, they were popping at the time. Oh, yeah. And then at that Friday, we played the show and, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I told you we had a show on Friday. Oh, know? yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, so that, and then that was before I invited him out to, but the, all those events kind of led up to inviting him out to our rehearsal, you know? And um, after that, I looked at Sean and I said, look, man, I, I think I would fire anybody who got in the way of us doing anything if Anthony came to sing for us, you know? And, um, uh, I, I never felt like that before. I was always a, a diehard, like, let's keep the team we got and keep going, you know? Uh, and I always had a um, 
the mentality that we would stick together no matter what. But after that, I just felt like, it, you know, if things were going to change, uh, I wasn't going to let us stop us. So, um, he, and, you know, Sean knew right then that I was really serious about that move, if that was going to happen. You know, and I, I wrote the, the Patient Zero music after I left Egypt Central. Um, and so some of that actually transitioned over into the Joan Red stuff. So, um, but we were, we were kind of lost there for a while with no vocalist. And then, you know, Albert even looked at us that night and was like, dude, you guys should just get Anthony to come sing for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so when did you know that you had something special? When was that solidified? Uh, it really solidified it for me uh, when Anthony came over that next night and we were able to write out the entire song for Show Me The Way. I was like, you know, that's I, I'd always only written with Sean. And me and Sean can always just sit down in a matter of minutes and come up with enough stuff to, to write a song, you know? Um, and... So to find that with a vocalist was even more special, kind of, uh, you know, and a, as good a front man as he was at the time, you know. Did he did he play when Anthony would sing in rehearsals? Did he sing in rehearsal the same way he did on stage? Oh, yeah, he was always 100 percent when he was doing anything. Yeah, it's hard absolutely. to imagine him him sitting down and singing uh some of these some no. Of these <laughs> no it it was always a sh i mean he was always a front man absolutely and um you know even in the normal day-to-day -day stuff you could look at anthony until he did he was not uh your normal guy that would serve you a sandwich at McAllister's. you know what i mean yeah <clears throat> you could tell that uh he had another life <laughs> somewhere <laughs> so you guys got together when at what point did you decide to record the spread the red ep um so after we got together like i said we we stayed dormant kind of for that whole year while we started writing music and and as we approached the project, we were like, well, we're not going to do any of your old songs, and I'm not going to do any of my old songs. We just want to write all new songs. Um, and we caved a little on, uh, like, Tortured. Tortured was a song I wrote at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. I just kind of rolled out of bed and wrote the, all the guitar parts. And I had it for, like, a year before we turned it into the song Tortured. Um, but... I had a little bit of a faster uh, part where the chorus was. And um, uh, we slowed it down and it fit what Anthony did on the vocals. So uh, it was neat to be able to combine those ideas and, and rework something that, that was written a year ago, you know? Yeah. And seeing it come together and getting the gratification oh, yeah. of this thing out of my head and into my ears is yeah 
with uh, Crush, it actually uh, almost ended up in me and him getting in a fist fight uh, because I had the ideas for um, the guitar, and he was like, well, let me do this, and he took my guitar from me. And that was a big, at the oh. time, that was like a what? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, hold on. He took my guitar and then he turned the parts around. And he was like, no, this should be this and this should be that. And we literally got toe to toe, nose to nose, like about to fight over that song. And um, within five minutes, we had gotten not only calmed down, but we had finished writing the entire song out. And it was crazy. Oh, wow. So you guys it, just it was, had... in the end, it was like, you know what? Let's just put everything together and make the song the best for everybody. And that's what we did. So you guys had that kind of chemistry from the get go. Uh, that I... was one of the main concerns uh, from outside people looking in is how much of a uh, kind of a hard ass I was. Uh, like when I was in Egypt Central, I, I would. Uh, I, I was going through a divorce. I had full custody of my daughter. And these guys were not as dedicated at some points as I was to being at practice on time and stuff like that. And, and you know, to me, it wasn't, I wasn't messing around with music. I was going to make something happen regardless. And then with Anthony, we knew that he was definitely going to make something happen and kind of bringing two bulls together is going to go one or two ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so two A personalities, basically, we knew that there would be at some point some kind of uh, showdown, you know. Uh, but a lot of times it, it made us better, you know. Certainly. So, well, you did. It, it definitely taught us a lot. <laughs> You did get you. I mean, you did make something happen because in 2008, you signed uh, Joan Red signed a record deal with Fuel Records. What led to the Fuel Records deal? Um, well, behind the scenes, uh, we had changed management, we were looking to do what we could, uh, to take the band to the next level. Um, we were looking, you know, we were bringing in new sponsors. We were doing, trying to do everything that we could at the time. Um, we brought in um, Christy as our, uh, Stephanie Christie as our manager. And I believe she's the one who brought in fuel records also that uh, the owner was, uh, kind of a, a, a hip-hop mogul from Orlando area and uh, she lived in that area and uh, I'm not sure on the back end how they came together at all but I know that his label at the time was focused more on hip-hop and R&B artists and we were the first rock artists that they signed so why, what happened with Fuel? That I know that record deal didn't last very long. Um, what led to the termination of that deal? Um, I just noticed how dark it was. Although I can 
put a little light on here. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, so, um, basically, we found out that a lot of the stuff was just smoke and mirrors. The, you know, they brought us out. They um, got us a tour bus, and they did all this stuff. They said that we were going to be recording in these different studios. We went and... Um, toured the studios and stuff like that but when it came down to okay when are we getting into the studio when are we gonna start working on the album there was just like a there was an instant feeling that we weren't getting the deal we were supposed to and so we just basically at one point had to say okay well if you're not gonna keep your end of this contract then we're not either you know what did they what did they not uh do that they had promised that they would do they never booked the studio time they never set up any of the things that we had been told were gonna happen so they signed uh, you to a fucking deal and then they didn't even send you to the fucking studio yeah yeah well that's fucking stupid yeah, yeah i mean yeah. when it came to putting paper down <clears throat> we never saw anything happen you know so you guys, when you did, I just really don't think they were ready uh, for the type of demand that we had at the time. I mean, it, the internet was new, right? Mm -hmm. But we were also one of the the first bands, is de definitely from Memphis, that kind of went viral, if you will, on uh, MySpace at the time. Yeah, and MySpace is what drove our success in the beginning. Um, yeah, that's a thing I'm going to I've got in my notes I wanted to talk about also, because at the time, if you weren't played on the radio or like nowadays, if you're like, I'm a band and I'm an artist and I'm, I'm getting all this radio play. Nobody gives a fuck. It's like, why aren't you on social media? Why aren't you on YouTube? Why aren't, but like back in the day, it was almost yeah. looked down on. In fact, it was not almost yeah. it was looked down on like, oh, wow, you're 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 on that amateur shit. Like people would turn their nose up at you. Right. I yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it was, um, you definitely had to, to have numbers to show people, but there, you know, there's always been a way to fake those numbers too. And uh, our numbers weren't fake. We were actually messaging people and reaching out to people we didn't spam people at all. We would look at their profiles, listen to their songs that they had on their profiles and try to find something in common before we even reached out to them. And I think that's one thing that, that we did that a lot of artists didn't do. And that's why we were able to connect with people before we ever came into their town, you know? Yeah. Well, the process uh, and we treated it like a job. I mean, it was, uh, as soon as we got off of work from our day job, that's what we did, you know? Yeah, that process is very automated now, like with people's recommendations and stuff like that. And it's easy to yeah. forget that on MySpace back in 2006, 2000, and probably by, by the time you started booming, probably 2008, 2009. Yeah, late aughts, you know. Yeah. yeah. That that really wasn't that much of a thing. But let's talk about those numbers because your platform on MySpace – 2.5 you ready for this million plays on on myspace and i think it was like something like 60 uh, is either 60 or 16,000 i don't remember uh, yeah. i didn't make a note of that uh 
followers on MySpace also. What? Um, so when you guys started to get into into MySpace and you started seeing that viral, uh, that viral growth online, how much of that was all at once? Was it was it all at once or was it gradual? So the the from the beginning, it's it was kind of all at once. We put a 30 second teaser out for show me the way um uh and it it basically went viral right i mean everybody started playing it everybody started adding it to their myspace um everybody started asking for more and then on top of that we capitalized with uh adding red to your uh your handle or or your name on myspace and that took off too um it was crazy yeah. that you had people from every all over the place who had never met you that wanted to, to be that involved and put red in their name, you know? Uh, and some yeah. people still have that in their name on uh, Facebook. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it was a cult but following. We, we did uh, because we saw, in a, you know, in a, there was an instance also where Anthony was on stage with Chosen View at the time, and he was like, you know, um, how many of y'all have MySpace? You know, and the crowd goes crazy. And and uh, I think that ended up being a fight at one point between him and some members of, of the band at the time. They didn't feel like that was appropriate. And for us, we capitalized on it, you know. Uh, and, and like I said, we turned it into a job, uh, uh, making sure that every single day we were hitting a certain number on uh, uh, for each of us on MySpace, reaching out to people and trying to start building those relationships and um, get the groundwork going so that if we did get to go out on tour, there was going to be people at the door, you know? Yeah, because <clears throat> also another thing today, things like YouTube um, and other things that are out there, for, for bands to use, band mix, uh, whatever. Those are all monetized. MySpace wasn't monetized. You guys didn't get a dime extra for those. No, we didn't. Million no. Uh-uh. Uh, we got a lot of love on MySpace, but no, we didn't get any any kind of compensation from that at all. So, I mean, you know, you had to, you had to really want it because, like, today a band could do that, and that's expected. But it's also like some of the things you're telling me that you guys did is all automatic now. The the websites do that anyway. Plus, they pay yeah. you for, uh, for the yeah. Joan read that right that luxury. But it, uh, being in a band, especially back then, was a labor of love. I mean, um, if we weren't doing that, we were promoting the show, going uh, parking lot to parking lot, putting up our flyers just trying to get a few more people in the door you know uh and i don't think any of the bands uh nowadays do any of that stuff <laughs> yeah I don't, but I don't it was so. it was i mean it was a constant um uh kind of mission of ours to network in any way that we could it, even if we were just going out to a club and meeting new people who knew other people, it was 
a constant mission of ours to to find a way to network ourselves. And in doing so, we met some really great people who helped us out along the way, too. Kind of crazy. So I'm going to list off, uh, which Roach, by the way, earlier today corrected me on some of these because it turns out my list was not long enough. Okay. I'm going to list some of the bands that you guys have either opened for or shared the stage with. Okay. And uh, then we're gonna. Then I want to talk about when you guys started blowing up and touring a lot. So here, here's the list: Saving Abel, Seether, One Less Reason, Three Days Grace, Tra- Taproot, Trusco, Avenged Sevenfold, Egypt Central, Seven Dust, Stained, and it turns out, thanks to Roach for correcting me, Skillet, Saliva, which is a big band on this show. We love our saliva here. For those of you that are our listeners, you know why. Yeah. Shout out Josie Scott, Eskimo Brothers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Breaking Benjamin, Theory of a Dead Man, Hender, and he kept going and he kept going, and I could not write that fast. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Taproot was on there. Um, uh, Red, uh, Framing Hanley. I mean, that, that list seemed to go on forever. And yeah. uh, we were just kind of blown away ourselves. Like, who's on the trust companies on this show? <laughs> like, I yeah. love trust company, you know. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, it all started with touring with One Less Reason, our very first tour. And, and Roach has been there from the beginning. Roach is the one that helped us set that up. And, um, and no matter what we do, Roach will be there along the way with us. Uh, but it's funny because the first time that we played Tupelo, we came in with one less reason and save and able and save and able actually opened the show. This was before they got signed. It was before uh, addicted before. blew up. And then, yeah, after, after, um, addicted and 18 days, you know, um, we played Minerva, those guys headlined Minerva, you know, but there were several, mm-hmm shows on that tour that we played with Save and Abel or on those tours at the time that we played with Save and Abel as they were coming up and what a awesome uh, thing to have them coming on this next show you know with us and and having them do one of our songs it's crazy yeah um, cuz i remember when just the journey and that's kind of why we keep going back to the family reunion thing i mean all of these guys that we started out with, everybody went off and became successful in their, you know, in their own uh, rights and everything. And uh, the the music went in a hundred different directions, but it, it all is coming back together for this event. And, yeah, I mean, uh, it shows the work ethic that you guys have. Because um, Trip, by the way, guys, we know Trip's gone. He didn't duck out, and we ignored him. Uh, um, yeah. he, like even trip he saw he's got his own business he's seen success even though it wasn't music related he had his own success and and outside of it when he when he when he left the scene and yeah. i mean that just goes to show you the caliber and the work ethic that people have put into it whether it be they were successful people whether it be on the stage or off yeah um, which you have to you have to work hard to be able to accomplish that well, we all had our own uh, driving forces behind what we were doing. Uh, I had my two children, and I was I was trying to make their dreams come true, uh, doing something that I enjoyed. And, and 
that was my, uh, that was what was pushing me every single day. Um, but everybody, nobody was looking for fame. Uh, and it would have been nice if it paid all our bills, but we weren't looking for fortune either. Uh, we were just trying to get out there and, and get the music out there, uh, as long as people wanted it. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people wanted it. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and a lot of people still want it, which is even crazier. I mean, I, I still get messages from literally all over the world. And they just yeah. uh, been introduced to our music or uh, somebody else showed our music or they found our music. And um, they want to know so much more about the band. And, and you know, uh, it's just to me, it's crazy. I ship CDs literally all over the world. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it possible to get a copy of that first EP still? I don't think so. No. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that was, uh, in fact, uh, I think we were looking for, we may have a, the master recording somewhere, but on that EP, we had an extended version of You Be the Hero. Mm-hmm. And so we were thinking about what happened to that. <laughs> yeah. And so we might have to reach out to our producer and see if that even exists anymore. I'm not even sure. So if anybody but, out there has a copy of Joan Red's. EP, I do have a copy somewhere, but we, we moved last year and a lot of our stuff is still in boxes. And I imagine that's one of the things that's in a box. So I do have a copy somewhere. And my sister, uh, the very first copy we made, my sister made sure that she got the first autographed copy. So she also has a copy somewhere. So I know there's at least two somewhere. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're listening and you have a copy of this, hang on to it because it's um, it's something that you're not going to find again. And if you're somebody out there and you have two copies of it, uh, you yeah. can send an email to gunsandradiopod at gmail.com. Um, and uh, we'll we'll talk about an exchange to get it in. Back in <laughs> I don't even have side effects anymore. I bought that album, that CD, years ago, and I thought I've got I've got I've got some of my memorabilia on display on the walls, and then I've got a lot of it in two or three tr not boxes, but like fireproof trunks. Like if this house burns down, my music shit's fine. But, nice. <laughs> I got to digging through those because I was going to try to um, get some better scans than what I could probably find on the internet of the of the album covers and stuff like that. Because the one I right. got is in a is in a, it's not in a it's not in a jewel case. It's in a sleeve. Right. And uh, yeah, I wanted to get a uh, or I had. Turns out it ain't there no more. It grew legs and right. off in the last twenty years. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so we get that a lot. A lot of people say, you know what? I think somebody stole my CD. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have it anymore, you know? Yeah, and that was the thing that was a bitch about that period is you didn't have um, – the, the, the music scene was so popping that there were all kinds of great bands out there. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the band that would become Crashing Broadway, but that's just an example of the later – of the later years. And if you liked that music and you got that and you needed that CD, most of the time you had to know somebody that had the CD and that was like, dude, let me borrow that so I can rip it. And, and yeah. 
Uh, I remember, uh, do you know TJ Timms from Crashing Broadway back in the day? I, I definitely remember the name, but I, I'm better with faces. <laughs> when when Crashing Broadway had, was starting to get big, they released their second album. Or they were... They were they were big in our local area. They released their second album and uh, we had, a, they had a show that weekend that I was going to be at. And, but I didn't want to wait till the weekend to buy the CD. I wanted to hear it now. Yeah. So I happened to get on, I think it was LimeWire or something at the time and just search yeah. for the name. And right. I downloaded a bootleg copy. So then I texted CJ and was telling him how great the new CD was, but then I was like, he's going to know now that I have ripped off his music. Because then I immediately was like, ah, shit, I just told on myself. And so I had to immediately reply with, yeah, now I'm still going to buy the CD, but yeah, I, right. I, I just didn't want to wait till I got there to till Friday to be able to listen to it. He called yeah. me so excited that we were able to bootleg a CD of his, and I've never heard anybody <laughs> been so happy to got stole from before. Yeah, I mean... You know, like I said, it's always been a labor of love. Um, the see, the music does no good if it's just sitting there doing nothing. So the music has to get out there. And, and for some people, that is, they're going to just rip the audio off of a video, you know, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the, the music is what matters. The music just has to get out there. And so, uh, you know, long after we're gone, the music will still be there. You know, and yeah. so I don't care how people get it. Uh, of course, we now it would be great if you bought CDs. Absolutely. Buy the CD, you know, <laughs> download it, but, pay it, pay for the down. Nowadays, though, stealing exactly. music is obsolete. Like it's so much less hassle to just pay the dollar. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Get it off of iTunes or stream it. You know, and it was Spotify. when we put out that album, it was kind of when when before everything switched to just singles and downloads and stuff like that so you know people were still buying albums looking for albums and uh that's kind of coming back around you see a reinsurgence of uh a resurgence of uh people buying vinyl records and stuff like that and uh we've also talked about making a vinyl record i think everybody would really enjoy that I think we could put more stories behind the songs and uh, stuff like that on a media format like that. So I think it'd be really good. I hope you do. I definitely, I'll buy that. I'd buy a copy of that. Same here. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had talked about that before any of this happened. We talked about uh, remastering the album and re-releasing it. Uh, but definitely uh, vinyl is a format that, I think any any band should put their stuff on vinyl just because you know yeah uh, it's been this year for the first time ever since uh way back in the day vinyl outsold compact discs oh yeah i mean it was a lost art form for a while crazy though but i mean uh you know they had to digitize that sound to make it sound like it was vinyl that's how popular it was you know yeah so when you when you guys recorded um when you guys went in and you actually recorded side effects of you and now you've got the you've got some songs in your hands that you can send to people what what led to the decision that you be the hero would be the lead single off that album uh we were looking hard at our songs and and uh, you know we got to pick one 
that's got to be the the single and we we hadn't written it yet um uh all the songs were good and i thought the crush would be great for us but uh when crush met radio they're like well it's awesome but you know there's too much screaming in it can you mm-hmm. do a different version and we were kind of set back by that not really insulted but we weren't going to change it you know a lot of people don't know that the the screams and stuff on there that anthony did at the end that was all pre-production and him just messing around those were never supposed to be in the song and then it ended up fitting the song so well that it was added you know does that include Uh, you being the hero yeah we weren't gonna be like red jumpsuit apparatus and do five versions of the same song to make people happy um and college radio was eating it up they were like yeah we'll play it you know um and there was definitely a um we we probably could have gotten a lot more radio play had we changed it but that that wasn't something we were interested in doing and so when we ended up writing you be the hero um it immediately felt like there was something different about that song and kind of pushed it up to the top of the list for everybody now i won't ever say that it's the best song that we have but it was a great single to put out so in the song you be the hero right before the breakdown what first off what's he say right there like i've never understood that when (laughs) he says shut it (laughs) shut it okay we always thought it was shout it or somebody said it was sharon like because the osborns was big at the time we kind of wanted uh, almost like a corn type uh, feel right there. We wanted it to, to drop out from the rock and go a little bit heavier, basically. And I don't know why, but he said shut it and it just stuck, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, I think he wanted some sound there and that's what ended up sticking. Uh, he did the same thing at the end of Changes. Um at the end of changes, he never said, allow yourself to change. Uh, but he would always yell something right there. And I was like, it sounds like you're saying, allow yourself to change. And so that's what he ended up doing. Oh, uh, wow. So, but a lot of times he had the noise in his head of what he wanted it to sound like, just didn't have the words to fit it. And so okay. shut it was kind of just the, you know, it, it just made everybody move, <laughs> you know. So somewhere out there, there's a recording of Anthony just shouting random shit into a microphone. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's definitely. And especially when we were writing any of the songs, uh, he would just throw words in. And, and um, there's definitely there's some shows out there because we were writing songs so fast uh, just to have enough songs to not keep repeating our songs in our set, you know, because it started out with like five songs. Well, if you're playing uh, any longer than 30 minutes, then you got to play those same songs again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we started writing and a lot of times we'd have the music ready, but the vocals weren't. And so Anthony, if you, if you go back and watch any of those really old uh, tour videos, you would see him just making up lyrics for those songs. <clears throat> I mean, you guys also had some covers thrown in there. I know you did uh, Rocky three. I think it was. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, no, no easy, easy way, way out. out. Yeah, Robert Tepper. To... Yeah, like I've I've seen uh, covers 
floating around out there. Uh, we from- did uh, Journey, um, Separate Ways. That was oh, yeah, you a did that. Big hit. Yeah. Um, we never did a lot of covers to begin with, but we ended up, we played, a, it was a biker bar. Um, and at the time, I don't remember, uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was a History Channel show about uh, biker gangs and stuff like that at the time. Um, uh, OCC? And I think, no, huh? this was on the History Channel. Uh, and one of the gangs that they were talking about was the Outlaws or something like that. Okay. Um, we ended up playing an Outlaw bar one night. And I think we played with uh, Tantric and another band. Uh, well, after everybody was done was actually when people started coming in. And so the the gang was like, hey, keep playing. I was like, well, we've already played our songs. It's like, just keep playing and we'll pay you. Oh, so we sweet. we switched up instruments. Uh, Anthony got on the drums and we just started throwing our, our weight at, at anything that we could remember or mostly remember. Luckily, Brett at the time um, had come on to play guitar for us and that kid could play anything. I mean, we'd just say, name a song, and he'd start playing it, you know? And uh, um, Stump the band. So we, we stayed there for a couple of hours just throwing covers out there back to back to back of any pieces of songs that we could and uh, <laughs> made a little extra money on that night just jamming around with those folks. And then after that, we were like, well, you know, maybe we should throw some covers in here and see what happens, you know? Um it was all about engaging the audience for sure. And uh, it was funny because I wasn't even familiar with the No Easy Way Out. I hadn't watched the Rocky movies, especially as much as Troni did. I mean, the, that was his favorite, favorite movies, period. Uh, but he also wasn't familiar with some songs that I showed him. You know, and I was like, it's crazy. Uh, but... It, even in uh, one of our behind-the-scenes videos uh, that was on YouTube, I was sitting there watching Dirty Diana because I was like, Anthony, you could sing the crap out of this song, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, and so I was watching it on the video while, while uh, or on the computer while we were making that behind-the-scenes video. And you can hear him say, he's watching it again because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just I, in my head. I saw Anthony singing that song and rocking it. I was just wow. And um, no easy way out. I think was also done by uh, was it Five Finger Death Punch that did it as a hidden track on one of their albums. I don't know. I don't know. I would have. To I look can't it remember. Up. It might have been them, or, or I think it was Five Finger Death Punch, but it might have been some other heavier band at the time they did it as a hidden track on their album also and um, once i heard anthony sing the song i was sold on it i didn't like the robert tepper version of it at all but once i heard anthony singing i was sold on it and i've always been a huge huge journey fan so when it came to journey songs i was like well let's do one that nobody else is doing and that's when we ended up on separate ways it it was funny because 
we couldn't think of what song we wanted to do. And I was listening to Rock 103, just randomly scanning, looking for music. And Separate Ways came on, on my way to rehearsal. And Hmm. so once I got to rehearsal, I was like, dude, let's look at this song. You know, the harmonies in that song are incredible. And definitely um, Anthony's vocal range. And so it just fit. I'm like, whoa, we got another cover to add. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. You guys played the shit out of that uh, back in the day. And one thing, a cover song, though, like, it's not, there's no shame in doing a cover song. Because one thing that people don't take into consideration is the art form of working the crowd and keeping yeah. everybody up. Like, you, you, you know, you hit them, you, you hit them at the beginning with something with, like, maybe your second best song right, right off the get-go. And then you're going to taper them down. And a good way to get them to boost back up and to even get the people that may have just be hearing your music for the first time that are in the room right now is to throw in a cover to spike them back up again. And Yeah, definitely. Of excitement. Yeah, and the, the way that we approached cover songs is that we did not want to sound like the band uh, that did them, but we mm-hmm. wanted to to sound like them enough to where you would recognize the song and so we made it our own you know and added our own style to it but it was it was still definitely a cover song you know yeah so when uh when you're getting the song you be the hero out i know i heard that one on the radio uh several times back in the day what was it like shopping that around to to radio stations Back in 2008, I think it was, 2008, maybe 09? Uh, well, it was hard. It, it, even, I mean, back then, it was really hard to get into radio. We had made a lot of friends with DJs uh, in Tupelo, uh, you know, Jax and uh, Dodson, mm-hmm. especially. And uh, in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, we had made friends with radio. In Jackson, Tennessee, we had made friends with radio. And we had memphis friends in radio but a lot of times the radios were not were not pushing local stuff at the time uh and if they did it was you know like two o'clock in the morning when when you weren't getting the good audience uh or anything like that so any song that you were pushing out to radio especially if you didn't have any kind of uh money or influence or something behind it you know it was always a uphill task trying to get them to just pay attention to it. Yeah. You know? I mean, you had so uh, much shit though, that was being thrown at them. Cause a lot, I oh, mean, no I say it, most of the local bands sucked, but that's yeah. just how it is. Most of them. Suck. Well, yeah. So uh, one thing that we always said from the beginning is we never wanted to work with anybody who didn't want to work with us. There was tons of people who just wanted to make money and they're like, yeah, I'll record you, you know, pay me and I'll record you. But we chose our producer because he wanted to work with us. We chose, um, at the, we, you know, chose who shot the music video for, uh, you be the hero because they wanted to work with us. And, uh, when we found those DJs, uh, in those towns and areas that we were trying to get into, uh, we found people who wanted to help us, even even if it wasn't, a, you know, something that the radio stations wanted to do at the time. They were trying their hardest to to help us out. And um, 
I don't think you be the hero ever got the radio play that it got uh, as as much as it finally did when it hit satellite radio. Um, so it was a great single for us in the format that we had, um, but you never, you hardly ever got to hear it on the radio um, unless you were in any of those towns, Jackson, Memphis, um, Tupelo, and, uh, you know, those towns that, that had the hardcore DJs that were fighting for us, you know. <clears throat> Did Kevin Russell at KC103 uh, have a lot to do with that? Because I know that he played uh, Favorite Color by One Less Reason constantly, to the point that I didn't even know One Less Reason was a local band up until uh, maybe five or six years ago when I was like, whatever happened to that a lot of people going to be disappointed song? I was trying to <laughs> – it popped yeah. back up in my head. And I always thought that that was just a one – like a one hit wonder kind of band up until the point I started looking for it. But I remember Kevin Russell would play it in the evenings on KZ 10. I was a radio head. So KZ 105, uh, KZ 103, it would become late or it started out as 103. Then it went to 05, then it went back to 03. But yeah. Uh, so in the end, we had a lot of, of DJs and um, radio people from, from, uh, from all over that were doing stuff in the background that we didn't know about. I mean, we knew that we had a lot of love, but it wasn't like we could call the radio stations and say, play our song, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was up to, uh, it, at the time it was a, it was a battle to get your song out in a time frame where people could listen to it and, and be like, Hey, what song was that? And start calling the radio stations. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, there was a lot of shit out there and there was a lot of bullshit that was coming out from most local bands. But then, like, you hear Joan Ridd, like, this ain't no bullshit. And you probably think right. this, you probably don't even think it's a local band because even though you your your album was pretty much self-made, it, it doesn't sound it. It doesn't sound like a homemade record. It doesn't sound like those shitty. Um, I, 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 I hate to say punk rock sounds shitty, but punk rock sounds shitty. Because you get that fucking, it sounds like somebody's holding a tape recorder up to the speaker when they're recording the guitar. And, yeah. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've always had that kind of draw. And it, it, to me, that was one thing that was always amazing as well. Like when we wrote um, uh, Sorry It's Over, we didn't have a place to rehearse at the time. And so we did it in my house in Cordova and we did our best to, to uh, dampen the sound. We put mattresses in front of the windows and stuff like that. Uh, but the cops ended up showing up. And the first thing that the cops said was, you guys sound really good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry. There's been a complaint, you know, like when is your show? And we ended up getting one of the officers was a amateur photographer as well. And he ended up coming to our show that we were trying to get ready for when we wrote that song. Um, when we practiced in people's garages and, and different locations, we always had people showing up. And it, it was, you know, uh, once we when we first started, we rehearsed in a, um, a wood shop from one of our actually one of our sponsors for this show, Trim Masters. They had a wood shop out off of uh, Summer Avenue in the middle of nowhere 
but it was back behind an apartment complex. And uh, we would be rehearsing and people would start showing up out there. It was crazy. Um, But I guess people thought we were uh, good. Uh, You know, it didn't matter who we were at what level. uh, People still wanted to hear what we were doing. No, no, definitely. So when you started to blow up a little bit and you started to tour and you started going out on the road and stuff like that and you, um, you were gone out there and all that good stuff. Have you got any particularly good stories from touring together that, oh, that man. a funny story to tell? Because <laughs> we're going to get I, into some heavy stuff here in just a minute. So before we do. There are literally so many stories. I can, I can tell you one of the most memorable ones that pops up in my head is uh, we did a show in the middle of nowhere, like Watsika, I think it's called, Kansas. And I don't, I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, no, neither have we. And uh, we're literally out in the middle of this field. And I was like, there's no way there's a club out here. We are lost, you know. <laughs> GPS was new at the time. And so we were used to getting lost. Uh, but I was like, there's no way there's anything out here. Look, there's one light. And we drove towards that light and it ended up being the club. And this was a underground, like World War II bunker that they had turned into a bar. (laughs) And so there was literally just one light pole out there. And you would have never known that that club was there if you weren't from the area. Oh, wow. That that night ended up being insane. I mean, the, the crowd, I mean, the... You know, I was in the middle of the week. The crowd wasn't huge or anything. But, you know, as we're driving up to that place, we're on the phone with our manager. And I was like, look, if we end up dead, just let you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to find us. (laughs) So if this ain't the place, (laughs) yeah, we might be showing up at the wrong place and and never coming back. But... uh, (laughs) We met some characters that night. It was crazy. One of these guys, uh, YouTube was kind of fresh at the time, but one of these guys was already popular on YouTube because he used to he used to put a um, a cardboard box over his little motor uh, motorized wheelchair that looked like a tank, <laughs> and used to ride it around. Well, that guy was even crazier than that. Um, he ended up like snorting two lines of the chalk that you use when you're playing pool and <laughs> oh cigarettes and putting them in his ears and his nose. I mean, this guy was, he was insane, uh, but it was, I mean, how could you not remember that? That was crazy. And then to end the night, we ended up going out and shooting guns real early in the morning and blowing up some uh, bottles of the Tannerite stuff. And it was just like, wow, who would have ever thought that was, that would happen (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, you know, and we ended up having such a good time with those folks. And um, we know that's, we only got to play that place one time. I I don't think we could find it on purpose. If we tried again, (laughs) it was crazy. And there was a lot of stories like that where uh, 
even if it looked grim pulling into the area, we we ended up just making the best of everything, meeting some of the best people, you know. Um, and that's how we we got more extended family from all these other places, like like Jackson, Michigan. Never heard of Jackson, Michigan, and we ended up playing out there with Saving Abel one time, and then all of a sudden we were adding Jackson, Michigan to every single tour that we did, and we would make sure that it was routed in there. And so a lot of people that are coming to this show are driving from Michigan or driving from uh, from wherever they had met us to come to this show. It's, it's kind of crazy. Oh, wow. Well, <clears throat> so – we're gonna get into we're gonna get into some heavy stuff here, because I'm gonna talk I'm gonna talk for a minute because I was there for for this little tiny bit of it. In 2010, you guys played Minerva, that was headlined. We spoke earlier about was headlined by Saving Abel. In 2011, uh, Rick Dunsford, big friend of the show, been on here many many times. Uh, he was uh, he and I were hanging out one day and we were just trying to play some call of duty he had just got the new zombies version and we were trying to play zombies <laughs> and yeah and um minerva 2 was in the process and he had made a point that he wasn't going to have any of the same people on two that was that was in 2011 that was on the 2010 show that right. included joan red Somebody got the word out that Joan Red was not going to be on the 2011 Minerva show. And while we're sitting here playing zombies, uh, Rick was one of the first people that had an iPhone. His phone starts blowing up. Uh, and I mean blowing the fuck up with thousands of messages. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on because he couldn't read anything because his phone yeah. kept crashing. <laughs> and 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 he's like, what the fuck is this? So he had to go and he saw it was a Facebook notification. And he got on his laptop to see see what the fuck was blowing up his uh his his phone. And I think he ended up having to delete the app just so he could turn his goddamn phone on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it had been spread, it had something had happened, and it, it was spread the red. Everybody was saying spread the red <laughs> to yeah. get Joan Red uh, on Minerva. Now, from your point of view, which it impressed him, that alone impressed him enough that he was like, "How can I not have them on now?" So, yeah. on you guys's end, when it came to getting on that second show. What what did you guys do to cause that? Because that's been something we've laughed about behind the scenes ever the fucking since. <laughs> uh, I really don't have any idea. Um, we always, I mean, Tupelo was, was uh, we always called it our stomping grounds. And uh, Dunsford was one of the first people that brought us out there to Tupelo. Good Time Charlie's was always good to us. I remember playing that drowning pool show and most of the crowd there was, was there for us. It was crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. When we played that first Minerva, uh, it was like, dude, we'll play this every single time if they'll let us, you know? Um, I believe at the time, 
we weren't even sure uh, if we were going to be able to make that date or not. Um, but I have no idea what happened behind the scenes uh, to get us back on that show. I know it, it was, uh, I mean, we, I think that was the same year we were supposed to headline uh, or be on the headline and stage at Memphis in May. And we drove all the way there and ended up having to be turned away at the gate because of that storm that was coming in. And so we never got to play. We were supposed to be, we were that as far as a feather in your cap, being a band from Memphis, Memphis in May is a huge feather in your cap, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we always had so much love in Tupelo. We would have played anywhere. Um, so I don't, I don't know if we even knew that Minerva wasn't a possibility. Mm. Maybe well, somebody, somebody knew and didn't tell us. Yeah. <laughs> somebody sure the fuck found out that the, that you guys weren't going to be playing because yeah, because there were uh, a lot of people that were not happy about it. Yeah, well, I mean, we definitely appreciate that. I don't think I don't recall any event where we're like, uh, "What do you mean we're not playing Tupelo?" You know what I mean? Yeah, because there would have definitely been a a planned response for that, and I would happily share that with you. But I don't remember anything like that. Uh, I did drink a lot back then. So. <laughs> we all did, brother. We all did. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, I, in fact, I think I told my wife one day, I said, you know, when I die, a lot of people are going to show up that you don't know. And their stories are probably going to be this one time me and Mike were drinking. <laughs> you know, that's where it's going to start. <laughs> me and Mike were drinking once. And uh, that, I said, this is going to happen, so just get ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, in May of 2011, it was officially announced that Joan Red would be a part of the 2011 Minerva Music Fest in Tupelo. However, unfortunately, less than a month later, we all got the heartbreaking news out of the fucking blue that Anthony had passed away in his sleep. Yeah. And there's been a rumor that I have heard from multiple people that we kind of talked about and we want to clear up on the show uh, concerning Anthony's passing. That um, first off, Anthony was, it turns out, and I didn't even know this until we talked before the show, Anthony was not a drug user. Uh, he didn't I'm not going to say that he never did drugs, but he definitely was not a drug user. I think a lot of, I had always heard it was heroin that took him out. I never, ever, ever saw that happen or was witness to that. Um, I could, I could, uh, and uh, I have no reason to hide that from anybody. Um, but I just, I'd never seen him ever lean towards that at all uh in fact you know he hardly drank um uh but he did you know he was in the rave scene for a little while in in memphis when it was big and and so there was different drugs that were introduced you know for different events and stuff like that but he was never like that um and maybe it was because he had seen so many 
other artists that we looked up to, uh, you know, their lives were just completely destroyed by that. There was mm-hmm. local bands in, in our area that, that you literally just saw fall apart. And, um, because of the harder drugs like that, you know, and the, so anytime that weed or anything was around, um, it was up to whoever to do stuff, but I never saw him line up to do any kind of uh, drug like that, especially. I mean, those were what we considered the hard drugs. You mm-hmm. know, weed is a plant, you know? Yeah. Well, we smoke weed uh, on this show all the time. So. <laughs> right. So, and I, I find nothing wrong with it. I just don't smoke weed, but I, I did before, you know? And, I, you know, I've done other, I've tried other drugs, but I never did anything that was hard. Um, and so I so would we definitely can, squash any rumor about that. Yeah, we can sure. definitely put that rumor to bed that it was, yeah. it was, it was, Anthony was not a drug user. He did not OD on heroin. I think, I think where that comes from is when a, when, a, when a musician dies suddenly and out of the blue, like, yeah. with, like, like, let's be real. When Keith Richards or Ozzy go, we're going to be like, makes sense. When, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we'll be sad, but it'll be like makes sense. But like when somebody dies, like like how Anthony did, just with no kind of warning, out of the blue, yeah, everybody automatically assumes. I think heroin. That was, I mean, unfortunately, that's the stigma that comes with it, and especially being that age and everything. Um, I've I've heard other people uh, thought that it was a suicide. And we I've never saw any tendencies like that with Anthony. I mean, Anthony loved life and he loved music. And uh, he he was upset, you know, when different things happened, when him and his longtime girlfriend at the time broke up. But he was he was already dating uh, somebody else. And, you know, he was already. I mean, that shouldn't have been hard. And, and <laughs> yeah. so, right. So, I mean. I just I I would never say that he was ever suicidal or that he did any kind of drugs like that at all. But I would say that the timing was right at the beginning of what we now know as the opioid um, uh, epidemic, you know. And so a lot of our friends, unfortunately, ended up mixing the wrong things and just going to sleep and not waking up you know uh unfortunately that that happened to several of our friends and uh so you know anthony had hurt his back and he was in a lot of pain we were broke artists that didn't have any insurance so we would get medicine where we could from anybody we could you know and it was the mixture of medicine that ended up being what was bad for Anthony. But it wasn't, it wasn't a, I'm taking this pill because I want to get fucked up. I believe the night before that he had gone to like an MMA event or something. And, you know, and by all accounts had had a great time and went to bed and just never got up. It never once popped into my head that he had committed suicide or anything like that. That just was not part of his persona at all. 
Like I can listen to Lincoln Park stuff now and be like, I love those songs. But if you really listen, you can be like, there's some sadness there. You know, Mm -hmm. that wasn't the same with Anthony. Uh, Everything was uh, positive and, and looking for the positive, you know? So I'm glad we got uh, to even clear in, that up. E- even in uh, like uh, Prayer for Rain, you know, it's not a dark song at all. We're just saying he's just expressing how much he likes thunderstorms, how great it made him feel to uh, to see a thunderstorm rolling in, you know. Um, but it was never dark or gothic or anything like that, you know. And there was never any of those we never had those moments where with Anthony where we we'd have to take time out from anything to make sure that he was okay or anything like that. Um, and there was a lot of stuff going on at the time, but I still, I would never ever think that he would commit suicide or that he had done any hardcore drugs at all. Yeah. Okay. Had he partied? Probably. Yeah. Oh well, we all partying. Right. But I believe it was the mixture of uppers and downers, basically, that the body just couldn't deal with, you know? Yeah. That was it was it was tragic. I mean, it was I remember everybody was Oh, it was yeah, absolutely. You didn't, I didn't know anybody that did not know when Anthony passed away that you had to tell them like we'd go to work. I remember going to work and dude, did you see, did you see what happened? And we just knew, you know, what they were talking about. Like, dude, I can't fucking believe that. Then I had, uh, I had just started my, my job at, uh, at the place I still work and I was still in my 90 days when that happened. And I was like, dude, I'm about to lose my job because I'm, there's no way I'm going to, be able to to keep working and my job was extremely lenient and and that's one of the reasons why i stayed there even now um but it was just like there's no way that that happened you know i was just talking to him there's no way that that happened and um it got so big that that people were reaching out to me that i had like record labels were reaching out and asking if there was anything that they could do. The story got so big that some people wanted to be involved with the story that they didn't even know what was going on. It was, it was in the crazy. newspaper. Yeah, I mean the like not just the uh, obituary. I don't know if you've like, ever seen was... like Dear Evan Hansen. Have you ever seen that? But <laughs> if you if you haven't, basically an event happens kind of like that where a kid dies and. Uh, the story gets so big that people start lying about how much they were involved in that kid's life, you know? And I had people reaching out to me that I'd never known. And they were saying, thank you for letting me be a part of this. That was one of the hardest things that I had to deal with because nobody wanted to be a part of that, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was so big. The story was so big and it was even on the news, you know, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) on our local news that because it got so big and it's us i mean i saw i remember seeing it in the newspaper 
that uh, Anthony had died. And when I say it wasn't just in the obituary section, I mean, it was like they had his picture, they had the headline, and it even said Joan Red Singer, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, Baserto. Um, right. So, like, it rocked Anthony's passing. Do you think he was aware of how that that response that his his passing got do you think he knew that that many people would be so shaken by the situation i i, I think one of the most incredible things that happened at the time um was right after he passed and before the funeral memphis saw one of the craziest storms they had ever seen and i just felt like anthony was somehow involved because the the sky was perfectly set i mean it, it was just a huge storm and so yeah i definitely feel like in 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 some way that anthony knew um that it it was a, a big impact on a lot of people i mean the the funeral was packed for sure. And I didn't think anybody was going to stop talking and, and telling stories and, uh, you know, celebrating the life of our friend. Um, but it just, uh, everything around us was, was so much, uh, still felt like Anthony was involved in everything, even meeting my wife, uh, uh, which is crazy, <laughs> but uh, the day that uh, Anthony passed is also her dad's birthday. Oh wow, that's crazy. What was it like? Because you guys ended up. I don't know how much you played after Anthony passed. I think we talked earlier, and you said there were two more shows that you guys ended up playing after that. The one, only one that I know about. Uh, that I always thought was the last Joan Red show was at Minerva 2011. What was it like to, to, to press on? Who made the decision that we're going to play these last couple of shows and that's going to be it for us? We were trying to do, well, I was trying to do anything that I could to help raise money for the family. Mm -hmm. Everything that Anthony did, he was trying to do for his little brother to help his little brother and his mom. Uh, and uh, so any bit that I could, I was trying to help out. And so I figured if the very least, if we could show up and play and raise any kind of money to help out, that was going to be worth it. Um, but it was also, you know, every time we play those songs, Anthony feels like he's right there with us, you know, uh, and so we wanted people to have that feeling still, you know? Certainly. And it's, I mean, I know what you mean. Cause even to this day, like I was, uh, you were talking, I wasn't going to say it on air, but I was thinking, you know, like I, I, I feel something different when I listened to, I, to, 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 to these songs back. I don't know. I've always felt differently when when like you be the hero comes up on my playlist and or i go seek out um sorry it's over or something like that it does feel 
I don't know. It just feels different. I think the whole scene felt different for me after that. I mean, when we were in the scene, the Memphis music scene was a complete brotherhood. There were so many bands that were always there for each other, always helping each other in any way, you know, and uh, I, I, I don't know if it was directly related to that, but after Anthony passed, a lot of that just disappeared. A lot of mm-hmm. the feeling of brotherhood and, and camaraderie that we had disappeared. You know? Yeah, it wasn't uh, long after that the Tupelo scene died out completely. Yeah, I mean, and I to me, it all feels directly related. Uh, but when we when we play those songs and we bring back those those songs, to me also it feels like nothing has changed. You know, uh, yeah. while we're rehearsing for this show. I'm reminded over and over how much uh, or how great of a vocalist he was, not just a front man and a friend, but a vocalist, you know, because he made it hard for anybody to mimic what he did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, some people, as soon as they're done singing some of the songs, they're like, damn you, Anthony, you know, <laughs> in, in the best way possible, you know, because wow, you know, and I had no idea that it would be that difficult. I, we always, it was my decision not to do anything else with Joan Red. Um, Sean moved out to California, which was going to make it difficult anyways, uh, especially at that time. And life just moved on. You know, um, I got married. I had six kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but life what just you've been moved doing. on a little bit from the music. Right. So, <laughs> Um, although the music's always, always been there, uh, it wasn't as big a part and it was like, I don't know if we could ever do Joan Red again, because everybody thinks just Anthony was Joan Red, you know, not Anthony sang for Joan Red. Anthony was Joan Red. And, and so it was hard to try to fill those shoes ourselves at all. Uh, when it came to this show and the concept behind it, we didn't want to put all that on one person at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's crazy because throughout the years, we've had different people reach out to us and and say, hey, look, uh, you know, if you ever look for a vocalist, please consider this guy or this guy. And it some of those guys are on this show, but not because of that at all because they went on in their own careers and and developed themselves as a vocalist and and got their own bands and started doing their own thing uh so it's kind of it goes back to that family reunion thing these are some of these kids were kids literally in our front row at our shows and watching our our uh, band back then that are actually going to be singing some of these songs yeah, I, I looked at one of the guys the other day, and I was like, man, it's been a long road to here, hasn't it? It's crazy, you know? <laughs> you know? But, you wow, I mean, in... what an inspiration to see just vocalists that, that Anthony uh, inspired to become vocalists. You know, one of the uh, guys used to play drums in a band back then, and now he's a lead vocalist because Anthony inspired him, you know? How different is the music scene in Memphis today 
the versus the 2000 the late 2000 very early 2010s when you guys were there because i know tupelo's dead it was all it, yeah it became djs and foam parties and yeah there was a there's definitely been a, a surgence of djs and uh uh i mean i'm kind of blown away how many people want to go listen to a dude play songs off of his uh ipad or, or you know off his MacBook, you know but uh, it's crazy how much how many people they get through the door and that that's what people that's what uh club owners want you know they want people in the door mm-hmm. um the scene has changed drastically but i i want to believe that it's going to come back around you know um I remember when there were several different clubs that you could choose to play at, at any of these places, Memphis, Tupelo, or Jackson, especially. Um, and now it's like, where do bands even play anymore? You know? I couldn't um, tell you. Yeah. I mean, I believe fully that it can come back. I've always threatened my wife. Uh, I've always said, you know what? If somebody doesn't bring back a good band in Memphis, I'm going to, start another band you know what i mean because <laughs> i just i miss it you know um there was certainly there was definitely a brotherhood that we had and you know all the club owners at the time mike glenn from the new daisy he was huge for us and uh he was huge he's always been huge for us he's he's a huge part of this show that's coming out um it's coming in march uh so uh the the impact that we that we uh, had as a band seems to keep going on and on and it as a you know we helped other people develop their own careers the guy that shot the music video for you be the hero went on to become a huge successful um uh video producer and and you know uh, the um different art different people that even roadied for us went on to roadie for some of the biggest bands out there and you know it was just kind of crazy how it all started with a little band from memphis and uh the internet you know (laughs) kind of crazy what was it like to do that music video when when was it detroit that you guys had to go yeah it was a it was an italian restaurant in detroit and it was our first time ever shooting a music video. Um, so we didn't know exactly what to expect. But I can tell you, if, if you ever get to go to one, uh, you better push your, put your patient hat on. Because you're going to do every single thing that you do bigger and harder every single time when you're shooting a video. <laughs> and it, it was probably one of the hardest workouts that we had. Because we always bring a lot of energy to a show. But when you're trying to convey that in a video, everything has to be huge, you know. And, uh, man, we had the full production crew. We had a full makeup team. We had everything. And it was it was something like we had never experienced before. Um, yeah. It, I pulled it, up you know, the, the storyline that was behind it, all the actors and everything, that, that was time that was donated, you know. Uh, oh, wow. The scene, the mansion where everything was shot uh, for the actors, all that was donated. 
and it, it crazy how it all came together and came into that. And I mean, were you in somebody's uh, house? Did they like get the couch out of the way and the TV out no. of the way? And so shit? all of that was shot without us. The only thing that we did was the takes at the, uh, it was a big foyer area for an Italian restaurant. And oh, so you could, I mean, that was the only thing that we shot. Everything else was all done in the background. Um, and then, put together and sent to us and we were just blown away you know i was like this is a, a mini movie you know yeah it really was <laughs> and, it, and the kid the the kid mm. that shot it was 19 years old couldn't even hang out in the clubs with us <laughs> you know Damn. and so yeah. we were just like oh this is awesome we're shooting a music video but we never knew that it was gonna you know take off the into them doing so many other great artists work and stuff like that. You know, we never knew that it was a launch pad like that for so many other people. It's crazy. I'm going to read you some of the comments on this. Uh, Blank TV posted it 11 years ago. Okay. And uh, I'm going to read you some of the comments because most of them are rest in peace, Anthony, hashtag spread the red. That's, that's, that's most of them. But yeah. the two at the very top, the two top reply comments are, this song should have over a million views. There's great emotion in this voice. And the second one is, I never heard of Joan, which I feel like you're going to experience, especially the people listening right now. Uh, right. A lot, there's going to be a lot of people listening right now that's going to have this same story. And this guy, uh, Matthew, says, I never heard of Joan Red until after the singer had passed. What an icon of his time, his style, the band's... Uh, uh, on his arm, his voice, uh, presence, meaning. I loved Evans Blue, but then there was Joan Red, and I will always be stunned by them. I hope you're all doing well, and I chuckle at the album title because it's such a sharp title and uh, such a thought-provoking message that these are the side effects of you. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, years what, ago that that comment was posted, by the way. That's. I mean, I love seeing those comments I, I try even now if i find new ones i try to just to give them some love even if they never see it uh, because that was always part of what we did we you know tried to build relationships with people but i love i i will never get over the fact that <clears throat> that our music and anthony's voice can still impact so many people and it, it, whether it's they just found us or they've been listening to us for years. The impact that the music had is, is just insane. The impact that Troni had was, is just insane. Yeah. There's still bands that cover you be the hero. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard no less than three different bands uh, cover that. And I have found YouTube videos of other bands playing it. And everybody's uh, sentiment is keep this, Keep this going. Keep this alive. Don't let this die. And yeah, and that's, we were talking about that when we were, like I said, before the show, when we were talking about what do we want to do with the music moving forward. Uh, we were talking about, like, any of those songs, if you put them on radio right now, they'd be just as relevant as anything else out there. And I don't know how we captured that, but we did. And, and, and there's definitely proof in the pudding when it comes to how many people it still impacts and across the world, not, not just in our own little area now, you know? Yeah. 
Well, the, the, you know, we constantly get, you know, that this song literally saved my life or, you know, this song helped me in so many. And that is incredible. That's anything that any art, that's the main thing any artist should ever hope for, you know. Certainly. I'm glad. And, and it, it's got to feel good, though, to be scrolling around and find some band covering your song. And everybody in the crowd still knows the song and are still singing along with it and yeah. uh, recognizes it. I mean, Joan Red is, is, is immortal. Well, folks, I agree. We're, yeah. we're having a great talk, but unfortunately, uh, we are out of time. So before we go, though, uh, stick around after uh, stick around after the show, guys, because we're going to play you the world premiere of the uh, video trailer for the uh, upcoming Memphis show. Uh, but what would you like to say? I'm going to give you the last word. What would you like to say before we uh, before we sign off today? I would say that. Uh... Uh, first of all, thank you all for all the love and support that you've shown us and continue to show us. Um, I, w I would want everybody to stay tuned because there's really no telling what could happen for here. And we're definitely not opposed to what may be coming down the road. Okay. So <laughs> uh, whatever that means for you. I think there's still a lot of life left in this this old band. So, we'll right on. Well, let's play that trailer, and I want to thank you for being here, Mike. And I definitely thank Trip as well. I, it seems like he's. We thought he would be back before uh, before we had to close, but uh, definitely thank you to Trip for being here. Uh, thank you guys for uh, taking the time to sit down and talk to us and answer a lot of these questions about you know. Joan Red that I know I'm, I, I'm not the only one that <laughs> by a long shot yeah. that has been curious about uh, over the years. Again, the show is Memphis Family Reunion, March 22nd, 2023, 7 p.m. at Lafayette or Lafayette or Lafayette's <laughs> historic music. <laughs> However room. you want to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's all the deets you'll need to know. 2001 Developments presents... The return of Joan Red, hosted by Lafayette's historic music room. Memphis, Tennessee, March 22nd at 7 p.m. Memphis Family Reunion with special guest performances by Zach Myers of Shinedown, Jared Weeks of Saving Able, Chris Brown of One Less Reason, and more. Also featuring Suns on Fire, Roses Unread, and Sleep Theory. Sponsored by Ed Harris Jewelry, Dan Tech Enterprises, Green Monkey Body Jewelry, and Trim Masters. Tickets available at joanred.simpletix.com. Hey, hey, hey.